Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. We are in a series of the Book of Acts called the Upside Down Series. I am so glad you tuned in. We teach the Bible, providing biblical truth for everyday life. So no matter what you're going through right now, I believe with all my heart that God's Word will have power to change you and to help you and to encourage you. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a physician by practice and also run a ministry of teaching the Bible and writing about God. You can find me at livingwithpower.org. In the meantime, I want you to sit back and listen up as we delve into the book of Acts and focus on God's word and ask the Lord to change us in every way that he needs to. Won't you do that with me? And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, I hope you do so now. I hope you tell your friends about it. And I hope that you're finding these teachings useful for you. So let's listen up and see what God has for us today. We are in Acts 3, and we are really expectant of what God has for us today. You know, we left um, Peter and John and the disciples last week in Acts 2. And I don't know how um, you think of stories, but I like happily ever afters. Uh, You guys like that too? And, And you know, every story that ends with happily ever after, you just never know what happens next. You never know, like, the story ends, and you're always optimistic that everybody lives happily ever after. And there's something about the end of Acts 2 that makes me feel like it should just end there. It should be just, like, happily ever after. So here's Peter, and, and, and has a sermon of his life. You know, nobody expects poor Peter, who had fled the cross, to come back. So Peter gives a sermon. 3,000 people come to the Lord. 3,000. And then they have this amazing church service where everybody gathers together. There's great unity, and there's a wonderful time where people are meeting each other's needs. And there's a part at the end of Acts 2, you, you just want it to end there. Right? You want, it, you want the story to end and be like, and they lived happily ever after. But, but, but it doesn't work out that way, does it? Because really the story is just starting. And, and, and Christ has so much more left for the disciples to do. A church is about to explode. And though it started with those 3,000 people, pretty soon it would be 3,000 is nothing compared to what God was about to do in, in the months to come and in the years to come. And of course, we, we, we know that we are a result of that work that started in the church. And so you wonder, well, what do disciples do after a miraculous work where 3,000 people turn to the Lord and a church is built that can hardly be contained? And, and you get to verse 1 and you see what they do. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So after this great revival service, this great time of Christians gathering, what did the disciples do? They went to church. It, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? They didn't go out to celebrate. They, didn't, they just went, more church. We're just going to go to the temple now to worship. And so it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and they go to the temple, and here's what happened. It says, And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So this poor beggar man, and, and he has a great location. I don't know how many of you have lived in the city for some time, but, but you know that over time, a lot of the beggars that are, that are in the city over time choose their corner, and, and it's like just, this is their area. There was a, I would leave Harvest for seven years. I lived downtown, and I would leave Harvest and take Taylor Street exit downtown, and every single time I went, there was the same man right there, right at the end of the exit. It wasn't even in the heart of the city. It was off of the highway, but that was his spot. And it was the same thing with this man. Everyone knew that this lame man would be there. His friends would carry him, put him, put him at the gate of the temple. Not a bad place to be if you think about it, if you're trying to collect alms. You would hope that people who go to church are giving. Not always the case. But, but for him, that was a good spot. And so he sees Peter in verse 3. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. That's what beggars do, right? I grew up in a city with, in Beirut, a lot of beggars. 
yes, they make a living out of it. They, they have no other means. A lot of them have handicaps. I remember growing up and seeing kids that would have missing legs, probably war injuries or other congenital problems, and they'd be on skateboards and always in the same spot, asking for alms, hoping for the mercy of people coming by. So look what Peter and John say. And it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Now, now that's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but there's uh, always some drives going on, even here in the burbs, where you don't necessarily expect as many people out begging. But there's a lot of drives where they're selling things to raise money for, for needy you know, uh, uh, places and, and homes and whatnot. And so there's recently, I don't know if, if you guys have run into that, but, but right there on like Golf and Arlington Heights Road, I'll stop at a stoplight and I'll see people walking around, usually with a yellow vest on. And they've got a big like playing cart you know, with whatever their cause is. And they're going around. And you know what they want to do? They want to catch your eye. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm really good at, at not looking. I'm serious. I mean, I'm so good. I, I, I get these glasses on, and it doesn't matter if it's pouring rain. I've got my sunglasses on because I don't want to look at the beggar. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. And you know that the moment they catch your eye, you're stuck. You're going to have to give them something. Because how do you look at a person's eye and be like, no, I'm not going to give you 50 cents or a dollar. And, and so instead, Peter and John, they're, they're not quite like that, are they? It says that Peter directed his gaze at him to the point maybe where the one was uncomfortable, but they keep looking at him, as did John, and said, look at us. It's like you stare at someone for a while, what's the natural reaction? The guy probably looked down. And instead, Peter and John are like, look. And look what he says. He says, but Peter said in verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk. Now, now I got to admit that my first thought is this guy, I mean, now, I, I'm, again, I, I, I don't paint the best picture of this person up here, but, but I got to tell you that this experience has happened to me where I'll be downtown and, and I'll go up, you know, you'll finish eating at a restaurant. You guys probably have heard that or have done that. And you have great leftovers. I mean, you haven't even touched that portion of the plate, but you walk out and you see a beggar sitting there and, and, and you know, he wants a dollar. And instead you're like, here's my leftover meal. And, and you know, honestly, they don't want that. I mean, they may be hungry, but that's not really what they want. It's the money that they want. And so you kind of get the similar situation here, don't you? I mean, this guy just wants some alms, and he even asks. He says, just give me some alms. Instead, Peter says, you know what? I don't have any money. And all of a sudden, his heart just like drops. Well, why are you looking at me then? You say, what, what, what are we talking about here? I've had a lot of things I want to bring out. Here's the first. Um, when, you, when you look at, here's my first point. Actually, write this down. When you are hurting, you need a savior. When you are hurting, you need a savior. Because without a question, the one thing that was true about this man standing at the foot of the gate, uh, waiting for people to come in, was that there was pain in his life. This guy was born with an inability to walk. And so for years, he had been dependent. They say maybe he's about 40 years. He's dependent on his friends. Not only to, he's not only dependent on people to survive, he's dependent on his friends to take him to the gate so that he could collect money to eat. Now, it's easy to pick on people who have obvious handicaps, isn't it? But, but do you know what I found? I found that that is usually, as an ER doctor, when I walk in a room and someone has an obvious hurt, that's easy to take care of. But I found that the horror hurt to take care of is the one that, that really is, is unseen. Because here's what I believe. I believe that every one of us is hurting. Some of us more obvious than others. And I, I think when I think about patients that I see in the ER, I think of three categories of people who are hurting. I think there's the one who's sick, who doesn't even know they're sick. 
seriously, I'll walk in and they'll have like a tumor growing out of their stomach and I'll be like, did you notice that there's a thing there? No, no, not at all. Well, why are you here? Oh, my ear hurts. And, and, you know, there's just no concept that they're sick. That's one category and that's a really sad category because there's just no recognition of their need. But then you've got this other category of people who are, who are the ones who are sick, but they don't want to get better. And, and I see a lot of those in the ER. They come in, and often for the same complaint, they come in week after week, and I'll be like, who's your doctor? And they'll be like, well, you are. Remember, you saw me last week and the week before. And I, I'm trying to explain to them the, the concept of an ER and how really I would love to be their doctor, but it doesn't really work this way. But, but you wonder, why do these people not want to get better? And I think there's a lot of reasons why people don't want to get better. I think sometimes it's because they've tried, they've taken the medicine, but it hasn't worked. And, and so they've given up. Maybe they just have no idea how to get better, and so they just figure we might as well, it's just impossible. And, and I kind of put this guy in that category where he's sick, he's got a problem, and it's been 40 years, nothing's changed. It's like, there's no way I'm going to, I mean, being lame is part of who I am. He's taking that on as an identity, and it's almost like well, he didn't even cross his mind that he can get better. So he's sick, and he doesn't necessarily want to get better because there's just no way he could get better. And I think that's a sad category of people, too. But then there's a third category of people, and they're the ones who are sick who want to get better. And they come into the ER and, and they find out what's wrong with them and they get the cure for what's wrong with them and they go home and they're very diligent with taking the medicine and sure enough, after a while, they get better. And I hope that everyone, some of you sitting here today, you may be like, well, I don't really have an obvious hurt on the outside, like looking at me, I look healthy. Well, I looked healthy to you guys last week. You didn't know that 30 minutes into the lesson I was going to have like close to a heart attack here. But, but the truth is that all of us have something that's about to tear us apart. And you're maybe sitting here and you may have already gotten healing from the Lord when you got saved, but you're sitting here and you're hurting. And the question to you tonight is, do you want to get better? Because I believe that even believers who have already tasted of healing at the feet of the Lord get in this mode where they're just sick and they're just like, they're just so, so used to that, they grab onto it as an identity. And year after year after year of Bible study, they're just in the state of illness. And they just, either they've given up because they've gone down that road and they've tried to get better and they've tried to apply scripture, but they find themselves in that same bottomless pit of sin and they cannot get over that besetting sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's an awful place to be. I hope that you're here and your heart is, I want to get better. Well, I, I think it's interesting because here's this lame man, and he thinks he knows what he needs. Do you ever think you know what you need? He looks at Peter and John, and he, what does he say? He says, I, I need alms. What well, he's thinking, I just need a meal tonight. That's all I need. And then tomorrow I'll come back, and I'll need a second meal for tomorrow, and then the next day I'll just, and, and his vision is so small, isn't it? I find that so often we go to the Lord that way and we have a problem. We know we're hurting. We want to get better. And we lay it before the Lord and we think, Lord, here, and we give the Lord the answer and it's so small compared to what God has in mind. And so we come to him and we may say, give me alms. And, 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 and God may be like, well, that's not what I have in mind. And initially your heart just falls. And you think, well, is, is God trying to trick me? Kind of like what happened here where the man is like, I want alms. And Peter and John are like, well, I don't even have money. But, but. And what do they offer him? They offer him something far greater. They offer him something far richer. They offer him something that is much more permanent and has, has a lifetime transformative effect to, to this man. They say, you can walk. All of a sudden, a meal is nothing. It's like you come to the Lord asking for a happy meal, but he's got a seven-course gourmet meal for you. 
when will we stop coming to the Lord with our little agenda? I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and, and she said, I just don't know how to pray about this situation, this situation anymore. And I, and I thought to myself in my head, and I said to her, because I, I was just thinking about this lesson, and I said, well, you know, you don't have to give the answer to the Lord. He can figure out the answer. You don't have to come up with the solution. It's not like your prayer hinges on the solution. You're supposed to just lay the, lay the problem there. Lord, here's my pain. Can you do something with it? Because I found that those times that I've, that I've given the Lord, here's the thing that will absolutely cure my problem. I, I've been wrong. It's happened to me again and again. I got an email just this afternoon. I want to share a bit of it because I, I just found it a little bit descriptive of this. You know, everyone who gets sick wants to get better. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, you think of categories, but nobody wants to really be sick. I mean, they really kind of want to get better. And so ask a Christian who's hurting, what's your prayer? And you probably day after day sit in front of the Lord and say, Lord, get me better. Lord, get me better. Well, this is a friend of mine who got sick a few days ago, and she actually goes to this class, but she wrote this note that, that I think is so powerful because, because here she is, she's focused on the fact that she had a severe asthma attack, had to go to the hospital, was really down in the dumps about it. Nobody wants to go to the hospital. I told you guys already, like, you, really, run. It's like, you just, if you can stay at home, stay at home. I'm always amazed by people that I see in the ER that are like, oh yeah, we want to be admitted to the hospital. I'm, I'm just like, what is it? Is it the apple juice that they have? Is it the graham crackers? I don't know, because frankly, I want to leave as, as fast as I can. But she writes this note. She says, this asthma attack was so severe, I ended up in the ER needing oxygen. She says, it's been a very humbling experience, to say the least, but the Lord is walking beside me every minute and has sent several angels of mercy to pray with me and over me. So here is this person who probably, her desire is healing. Just heal me, Lord. I just want to be healed. And instead, God has another plan for her, doesn't he? She says, my biggest, she talks about how she, there was a CAT scan, there were two spots on the CAT scan, there was concern for cancer, and lo and behold, it's not cancer, so there's a lot of rejoicing there. But, but then she says this, she says, I choose to believe in a God who has the power to save my soul from eternal destruction, and my body is but a shell that is easily entrusted into his loving arms. This is a person who's understanding what it means to go through difficulty. It talks about 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. But then I really love this part. She says, while she's in the hospital, so, you, so this is again a situation where given a prayer request she'd be like I don't want to be in the hospital Lord deliver me from the hospital and look what happens she says she I've been praying she says in, a, in the homework we we were asked to talk to one person about Jesus she says I was given the opportunity to talk to three she's choked she says I'm an overachiever and so she shares the first two people and then she shares about this third man she, she says this man let's call him Johnny she says he's her respiratory therapist like imagine that she's in the hospital her respiratory therapist comes in and he says uh, he's been in and out with Jesus you like that? People who are in and out with Jesus. And what does that mean? That sounds like my dating life. Like whenever I have had someone, I'm like on again, off again, you know. Anyway, uh, but he says, believing but not always following. He's a Catholic young man, does not go to church, but reads his Bible on his own and found his way to Moody and walk in the Word. So she's having this conversation because she's in the hospital because she's sick. It says he recently found himself kicked out of his home by his young wife and living in his car, which he ended up parking at our Elgin campus for a few days. Again, you're asking for alms. Look what God has in store. She says he's trying to debate whether the church was someplace he could turn to for help. He had decided he probably needed to be a member and eventually made his way back home, but never stopped thinking about Harvest Bible Chapel. So he gets this patient who's an avid Harvest Bible Chapel member. He says, amazing, I know, but it gets better. I shared many verses with him about James, you know, and some of the James McDonald books on change and encouraged him to please go into church and back to Jesus once and for all. I told him Jesus loves him and was waiting for him to return and offered to pray with him, but he wasn't quite there yet. L listen to this. Sunday morning, he leaves his shift at 7 a.m. 
and says that he requested to come back to talk to her again the next shift he came on. So he comes back next day, and upon his return, he pulls out and slaps his party with the pastor's name badge on. He went. 7 a.m. He leaves. Who goes to church after an overnight shift? I'm a committed believer, and after an overnight shift, I just want to go home and sleep. This man goes to church. He says his entire family went, and they were getting plugged into small groups and women's and children's ministries. I think so often we have an idea of what we think, what we want God to do in our life, and we lose sight of the fact that God has so much more for us. Here's Peter and John. They're going to the church to pray, and there's this man who thinks he needs alms, but God has a divine encounter waiting for him where he's going to be set free from his handicap that has been with him since he was born, which I think, by the way, is such a great description of the fact that like, we are sinners. We are born into sin, and God has to come and rescue us from that. And so I, I love that that's the first miracle that Peter and John have here. And, and you know, and, I, I, and then Peter says, I have no silver gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. There's a lot in a name, isn't there? Because Peter and John know where their strength lies. They know that it's not, Peter, there's nothing in him. It's not like he just stood up and gave the sermon of his life because he's so great. He understands that it is the name of Jesus that has brought him to the place that he's at. He understands that it is the name of Jesus that has rescued him from his time of shame where he knows that he denied one of his closest friends. He understands what the name of Jesus means. I, I think there's so much in a name. I think about getting phone calls from people. And there's times when I see the caller ID. I love caller ID because I just want to know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to, odds are I'm going to pick up the phone, but I just want to know. So like when my sister calls, I know if I, you know, if I pick up or not. And, and, and there's certain calls I always pick up. But, but I'm telling you, but there's something about a name, isn't there? People come in the ER regularly. And they're like, oh, we know Dr. So-and-so. He sent us here. There's, there's weight in a name, isn't there? And Peter understands that concept, but more than that, he understands the power of the name. I wrote about the name of Jesus. I said, I said there's a lot, uh, uh, there's much in the name. At the name of Jesus, look at these things. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. At the name of Jesus, every, the past is forgotten, the future is secure. At the name of Jesus, access is granted. Sins are forgiven. The Bible is alive. Peace is certain, prayers are granted, temptation is defeated, healing is accomplished, Satan is destroyed, fear is dispelled. At the name of Jesus, death is overcome, captives are set free, prison gates are opened, the blind see, the lame walk, the hurting heal, unity is possible, God is glorified, life is granted, faith has a purpose, goals are completed, dreams become reality. At the name of Jesus, all things are popular. How well do you know that name? Are you living in the power of that name? What does the name of Jesus mean to you, Christian? Because I believe that that we understand it at the moment of salvation, but I believe that we go through life and we just forget the weight of the name of the one whom we have given our lives for. And it is in the name of Jesus that Peter looks at this man. He's never raised anybody from the dead. I mean, remember, these are the same disciples who in Matthew 17 couldn't get the demon cast out. And they they said to Jesus, why is it that we can't do that? And Jesus, remember, he said, because your faith is small. And somehow they had gone from small faith to big faith in just a matter of really months, weeks, days. We're talking about the name that heals. The first point was when you are hurting, you need a savior. But when Christ heals you, there's total transformation. Look at what happened. It says in verse 7 that Peter and John took the man by the right hand and raised him up. He didn't even have, the man didn't have faith that he was going to stand up. I mean, two men come up to him and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he probably looked at them like, are you kidding me? And so who, who's the one with the faith? It's not the man being healed. It's the person 
who knows the Lord who has the great faith. And he looks at the man and he grabs him and stands him up. Can you imagine that? Once in a while, I get kids in the ER who have limps. And the parents will be like, well, they can't bear any weight. And I just want to see if they're, they're, how they walk. And I'll be like, parents, can you make them walk? And they're like, I just told you, he can't walk. And I'm like, no, no, try, try to make them walk. But they always look at you a bit like incredulous, like, are you really a good doctor? Because who would make the kid walk? And, but in this situation, Peter knows that the man is going to walk. So he stands him up. His legs were probably weak and, and hypotonic and all kinds of things. And how would this man be able to? It doesn't matter if you had an injury for a month, your legs aren't going to be able to bury your weight. But Peter and John have enough faith to believe that, God, that in the name of Jesus, this man would walk. And sure enough, he does. And it's a sudden, instantaneous healing. When God heals, when Christ heals, it is, it is instantaneous. But look what happens to the man. He doesn't just walk. It says immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. No need for physical therapy. No need for rehab. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. I grew up listening. You guys know Sunday schools? There's a song. And, 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 I mean, I loved that song because I always had such a visual of it because it was like Peter and John went to pray. Remember that song? And, 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 and basically he'd be like, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command you rise up and walk. And then all the kids in the Sunday school would be like, he went walking and leaping and praising. And it was just such a great visual of someone who is joyful. He went from being lame and, and sad and desperate and hanging on to people and looking for mercy to someone who is free and walking and flying. You get the impression that he's flying because when, when Christ heals you, there's total transformation. Where there's sadness, there's now joy. Where there's limping, there's now dancing. Where there was weakness, there's now strength. Do you see it? And, and, and the question then is, Christian, why do so many of us still walk around like we are miserable? I, I, I see it all the time. I see Christians who look like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. And it's like the joy of the Lord. We know it in word. We know it in, in concept. But so many, so few of us live it in truth. Are you walking with the joy of the Lord? Are you leaping and praising God? And, and I know some of you, if you think like me, because I tend to be a little bit jaded and cynical, and I'd be like, well, but the guy, I mean, he was lame and now he walks. But me, my problems are still there. And I think the problem with us is that we don't have a clear understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and we are so focused on our circumstances and we are so focused on that thing that we think God will not change that we, we have lost sight of the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us from the domain of darkness and put us in the kingdom of his marvelous light. How long has it been since you reviewed what he's done in your life? Well, that's our teaching for today and I'm so glad you checked in and I pray that God is at work in your life even as you conclude this time in the Word. Hey, I can't wait to be back with you next week. In the meantime, know that you can download our app. It's called the Living With Power app where you can access all teachings and resources at your fingertip. You can also spend some time on our website. It's the livingwithpower.org website where you can also find out about our global work. Uh, we have a store that you can buy more resources on or download free studies. Hey, are you following me on Instagram? I show up daily trying to provide encouragement to you and a little tidbit of God's word in a world of social media. And if you are here for the first time, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. And if you've been here before, please come back again and subscribe to this podcast. But more importantly, just know that God loves you. He's for you. And I can't wait to be back with you next week.